Welcome to the Hope City Drip. This is a podcast of Hope City Church here in Clinton, Iowa, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Clinton. And we know that life can be busy, it can be hectic, and so whether you're a stay-at-home mom with littles or you're a shift worker and you're working weird hours, whatever you do, this podcast is made for you to hear and to digest the mission and the vision of Hope City Church. It's a vision drip. So you let it drip at your own pace. You can press pause when you need to. You can rewind, uh, adjust the speed, whatever you need to do. We hope that this podcast serves to help you live for the glory of Jesus and the joy of your local community where God has placed you. My name is Nick Powell. I'm pastor here at Hope City Church. Uh, church plants. Uh, we just started getting things going. We're just building the core team right now. That's kind of the phase we're in right now is core team building. Um, and today, right now, I want to talk about joy. Um, I think j- the topic of joy, um, Christian joy, is one of the most provocative topics that you can talk about. Um, it's one of the most well, I think it is because it really cuts into the heart of Christianity that um, we, we actually want to feel something when we're with God. We don't want to just acknowledge abstract truth. Uh, we don't want just some sort of like, I don't know, we don't want to just think about ideas. Like we want to actually experience God. And so joy is this idea that we can actually experience deep emotional satisfaction in Jesus. And so when someone says, yes, I can, I've found joy in Christ, what, they, what they're saying and trying to communicate is that they're deeply happy in the Lord. And so uh, for a lot of people, this is a heartbreaking topic because their life has been hard. It's just been really hard whether there's suffering that's gone on in your story, whether you're in the midst of a season that's just frustrating and trying to follow God is really hard, Um, or whether you're someone who like just being happy seems to come natural to you and, and folks get angry at you because you just seem so joyful and and then you start feeling guilty about it. You're like, man, I don't know if, am I a deep person? I'm not really sure. I think the topic of joy just really channels at the, the heart of Christianity. And so um, I just, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about joy, uh, the biblical understanding of joy, and I want to put a little more flesh to it uh, because at Hope City Church, we really beat that drum. Like me personally, uh, I read a book called Desiring God by a dude named John Piper. Uh, this was about 10 years ago, and it just rocked me. It rocked me because... Um, that, and along with other experiences in my early walk with Christ, um, I, I started to see, uh, that following Jesus and trying to live a life that glorifies God, uh, and honors God, that's actually not at odds with pursuing my own happiness. Um, one of the things, it's no fault of the church I grew up in, but just one of the things that I internalized uh, when I was young is that following God or being a Christian is about primarily doing good things uh, in order to be blessed by God. Um, 
And those blessings may come in the form of money, may come in the form of, um, you know, like good circumstances happening to you or whatever. I kind of saw God as this moral genie. And really what that did to me is that I, I primarily saw God wagging his finger at my failures. Uh, and so I was, I was a legalist in, my, um, in the interior of my life. I, that's the way I conceived of pursuing God was primarily just like, I need to do good things so that God would be happy with me. Um, and if I don't do good things, then he's going to be upset with me. And really my, my yeah, that was my walk with Jesus wasn't characterized by joy. And so when I actually understood the gospel for the first time, uh, when I was at the end of myself my sophomore year of college, you know, I was going through a really tough time. Uh, I was lonely, uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff that a lot of college kids go through, just a really, you know, formative moment in a lot of young people's lives. And for me, I was at the end of myself and I realized that I was living my life as a hypocrite. I realized that I was confessing Christianity. Uh, I was confessing that I know God and that I embrace his love or whatever. And I actually was just like, I was not, I was living contrary to that. And I became just wrecked with this sense of shame and guilt. And realizing after that, um, th- there was some friends that invited me to some campus ministry stuff at the University of Northern Iowa. And I realized that I didn't understand the gospel I didn't understand that it's actually Christ's work on the cross that made it possible for me to be right with God, not my own moral ability. And that freed me to experience um, Jesus and Christianity and the Christian community um, with a new lens. Uh, with, I was born again, to use the biblical language, spiritually reborn. And one of the first things I noticed is that joy and God go together. Joy and God started to go together in my life. Um, I started to be around other Christians that were passionate about life. I started to go to gatherings that we were singing with like full um, throated passion and our lungs were just full of, of, you know, like we're singing these songs loudly and I'd never experienced anything like that. It was, it was fun and uh, I was happy and it was meaningful and all these things. And I could sum it up with, I was, I was experiencing joy. Uh, and it was one of the first times in my life that I've ever experienced true joy. Uh, one, one thing that comes to mind as I experienced one of the, one, one story that comes to mind, uh, in this season of life was I was driving in my white, uh, I don't remember what year it was. It was 2001, I think or 99, I think it was a 99, I had a 99 Ford Taurus, and uh, it was white, and it was plain, it was the family sedan, as one of my friends called it, and I was driving in this thing, and I remember distinctly crying tears of joy, because it was right, I was driving home from a buddy's house, my buddy Grant, that uh, he's a dear friend of mine still, he was the lead vocalist in a band that we ended up forming, but it was like, I was driving home from his house and I realized I was, I just like played music with him and, and he was talking about wanting to form a band and, and, you know, get these group of dudes together to, um, love Jesus together and, um, pursue taking the message of Jesus and his love to others in the metal scene. And so we wanted to start a metal band. Um, and 
it was like, it was like, I, it was all this passion, um, and this meaning and everything. I, I felt like I finally belonged for the first time in my life, um, with people that loved God. And I felt this spiritual connection to God and to one another that I've never felt. And I just felt like I was living the way that I was supposed, that I was created to live for the first time in my life. And it was because Jesus, it was because Jesus saved me. And I remember experiencing joy, just like this full undeniable sense of like, man, I am happy, but it's not a simple surface level happiness. It's like a deep happiness and Joy is, I think, the word in the English language that um, that captures that. And so I want to read a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, which John Piper quotes in his book, Desiring God, which he writes all about pursuing joy in Christ. And uh, it sums up the way that I think most Christians process Uh, joy and self-denial in the Christian life. And so he says this, if you asked 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, by the way, this is C.S. Lewis writing back in like, I think the 20s or the 30s or something. Um, He says, if you asked 20 good men what they thought of the highest virtues, 19 of them would reply unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened. A negative term has been substituted for a positive, and this is of more than philological importance. So like language, Uh, the negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, uh, not primarily of securing good things for others, but going out or going without them ourselves as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The new Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not uh, about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from uh, Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So this this quote from C.S. Lewis, what it's illustrating is that many Christians walk around, and I'll put myself in this category when I was growing up, is I thought that the purpose of the Christian life was to deny myself um, and and like just become, I guess, I don't know, like act like I'm grumpy 
um, you know, like a true faithful sage is somebody who, um, you know, doesn't enjoy very much, very many things, no drinking, no smoking, no gambling, no card playing, no fun, you know, like this sort of, um, you know, like don't go to the, the, you know, places where the sinners are because you might catch the sin that, you know, they're, they're committing. Like there's this idea that Christians are primarily marked by primarily what they don't do rather than what they do. And one of those things, one of the unfortunate byproducts of that is that in an effort to avoid sin and to live a pure and holy life, some Christians have taken it so far that they, they are, are actually marked by not being happy <laughs> instead of pursuing um, a flourishing, happy life. And, and, the, and, un, and so here's the idea, is that God actually put uh, a heart in each person. God actually put desires in each per- person. And it was God that made your flesh and made um, your senses and made your speech and your creativity and your entire being as a person. God is the one that made that. And the purpose of you having desires is that your desires would ultimately be fulfilled in God himself. That living the way of God with God would be the pathway to ultimate fulfillment of your deepest longings and desires. And so you were made to crave. You were made to long. You were made to desire. And those things are good things. They're not good things when they're terminated on the wrong thing. For example, every person who's ever lived has experienced a desire for something more. And every person who's ever lived has a desire that comes out of brokenness. They sense that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And so they long for something to make them happy and to fix what is broken. Whatever they experience in their life that manifests that brokenness, um, every person desires to fill a void in their heart with something that gives them pleasure. And so a lot of people either go to, you know, drugs, sex, alcohol, um, you know, pornography, uh, food, you know, let's not just do bad, like sensational stuff. Like some people do religious good deeds, um, thinking being a good person and a do-gooder is going to, you know, earn their favor with God and, and then they would like get to heaven or something. Um, there, there's all sorts of things that people fill their time with to try and find, um, happiness in life. And every person is wired to crave deep happiness. And the, uh, the Christian worldview is that you were made to ultimately find your deepest satisfaction in God himself by being in relationship with God. And so the way Jesus summed this up is to love God and to love neighbor. That's the summary of uh, the, the law or the purpose of the way you're supposed to live your life. And so human beings were created to be oriented to the world through a posture of love. We are lovers primarily. We're not just thinkers. We're not just feelers, but we're lovers. And so uh, the, the highest attainable um, pursuit that you can, like highest thing that you can um, aim for in your life is to make yourself joyful in God. 
and make yourself as kind of misleading to put it that way, but um, to find your ultimate satisfaction in God himself is to glorify God, is to live a way in which honors God because God made you with those things and to uh, find satisfaction in anything less at the expense of God is to miss the point. Uh, and so to go back to that quote that C.S. Lewis perceptibly pointed out, he said that um, the problem is with the drug addict is that it's not that he wants to be happy. It's not that his desire is too strong. It's that his desire is actually too weak. He's aiming at something that's too, too low. He needs to aim higher. So uh, it, it's not a bad thing that he wants to escape this, the problems of this world and to find pleasure. Uh, the bad thing is that he's, he's not finding pleasure in God. He's finding pleasure in the world and the things of, uh, of the flesh and, and all that. So um, that's a long-winded thing to describe. Christian hedonism is what Piper calls it, is that to pursue God and to honor him is actually directly linked with pursuing our greatest joy in life. So where do we get this? Uh, this is in the Bible. And, uh, and, and so Christians throughout history, this is not a new idea. This is not unique to Piper. Um, the Westminster Catechism, this is a really old uh, like church tradition. The way that this is articulated, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's like the highest purpose that we can attain. Now, you see this in the Psalms. When you read through the Psalms, which has historically been used as the church's prayer book, um, there are all sorts of Psalms where the psalmist is crying out. Uh, you can almost feel his angst. He's crying out and longing for his joy to be filled. He, he wants to be made joyful in the Lord. Um, there's all sorts of Psalms that say, you know, like, like there's a Psalm of David that says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Um, Psalm 16, uh, it says, in your presence, this is the psalmist talking about in God's presence, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, that's almost erotic sounding, right? Like it's tapping into language we usually reserve for like sexual acts, um, you know, pleasure, and you know longing and so the uh it, it's this it's meant to tap into your affect your your heart engaging your heart like walking with god and being a christian is supposed to like tap into like you know your desires and stuff you're not just you're not just believing the right things about god you actually want to know god and experience god um psalm 37 four uh says delight in god and he will give you the desires of your heart it's just like right there you know and uh and i recently pre preached a sermon i studied a text in nehemiah nehemiah is an old um jewish prophetic book and it's in our old testament and it's about the jews who were rebuilding their uh city of jerusalem after it got destroyed through war and stuff and they rebuild this the city and these people are like, they've just rebuilt the walls, they've built the houses, they've rebuilt garrisons and fortresses, and then the people, they're, they're, they're like people group are coming back to repopulate the city that's been destroyed. And they're still not quite satisfied. 
there's this moment in the story when they're gathered in uh, the town square and they're just not quite satisfied yet with, with the material things that they've accomplished. The restoration of walls was not enough, you know. And uh, they're like weeping and lamenting and they want something deeper. And, and, and so the, the priest Ezra, he stands up and he, and he gives this, um, he, he preaches the law base. He preaches their like Old Testament, um, the Torah, you know, and he's reading the law. And eventually they end up saying to the people, um, they encourage them to stop weeping and stop crying because they know that the walls are not enough to make them happy, like to really satisfy the desires of their heart. And what Ezra said is, says is super insightful. He says, um, uh, what does he say? The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And really what that is saying is that the presence of God among them will strengthen them in the deepest parts of their hearts. The joy of the Lord will be their strength. God himself, not buildings, not walls, not even children, or even getting into a city um, and flourishing as a people once again. Not even those things will satisfy the deepest longings of their heart. God himself satisfies those deepest longings. And then uh, Jesus himself in John 15, uh, I love John 15, it's this passage Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying basically, you need to like stick close to, to who I am, my presence, my teachings. Um, and, and he's saying that he's the vine that we need to abide in and grow off of. And John 15, 11, he says, after he says, abide in me, uh, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. <laughs> my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Like Jesus isn't after just like dutiful obedience. He, Jesus doesn't want us to just like, oh yeah, I got to live this way because I'm supposed to. I suppose I better, you know, clean up my act and start going to church so that I can, you know, get to heaven someday and get my wife off my case. Like that's not the essence of the Christian life. The essence of the Christian life is that we would be absolutely so enthralled with God himself that our joy would overflow. That's like the bottom of it all, right? Okay, so here's what this leads to. The inevitable question is, what about suffering? What about suffering as a Christian? Like, I've had so many conversations with, you know, even my own wife, with God, with other people who are like, man, I know that God promises us joy in his presence and to live the way of Jesus is to live the way and the, on, be on the path of greatest joy, deepest emotional connection with God. Like I want that, but I don't experience that. It's actually really hard. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard to work a job I hate. It's hard to lose, you know, my dad, or it's hard to um, experience all the things I've experienced as a kid, you know, whatever your story is, it's probably full of brokenness. And, and so the question is, how do you process how do you process through that? Like, you know that you want to pursue joy in Jesus, but really your, my, your life is marked by so much sadness and suffering. 
So this is where the biblical understanding of hope and longing need to come in. We have to arm ourselves with this understanding of who God is. Because if we don't, if we don't understand joy along with the concept of biblical hope and biblical longing, then we we are going to totally miss it. We're going to over-torque this doctrine of joy or this idea of joy into a way that's emotionally unhelpful. At the very least, it will be difficult to integrate into your life any concept of joy. At the very worst, you will run the risk of emotionally uh, abusing people and or experiencing emotional abuse yourself. A lot of people feel that because a lot of people are like, I just don't feel joy in Christ, but I hear the pastor telling everybody they should find joy in Jesus and I just don't find it. I want you to know that Jesus knows your suffering. He, he sees it. He feels it. He knows it. He's with you. He's present with you. And so Romans 5, 23, this is um, a really, really instructive passage on joy. Look this up quick. So Romans 5, uh, oh no, not 23. Romans 5, 2, verse 2. This is, so here's what it says. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what's going on there is that Paul's talking to uh, Christians who, in his flow of argument, he's, he's at this point where he's like, you can only be made right with God by grace through faith. Uh, that Jesus Christ lived the life you could not live, died the death that you deserved, and was resurrected to give you victory over sin, over death, and over uh, evil. And so all of that is given to you as a gift if you simply believe and step towards Jesus in faith and say, this is, I want to live for you, God. Like, I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to repent of the way that I was living and turn to you then all the blessings of salvation and spiritual rebirth are yours. So here's the thing, though, is that he's talking about hope. So there's something that we don't yet possess. And he's saying that we rejoice in it. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's heavy stuff. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So here's this idea, right? This So this is the nature of walking with Jesus in this life right now, um, we live in the already not yet reality of God's kingdom. The already means that 
Jesus, God made flesh, come has come into the world and has done what I just said. He, his life, death, and resurrection, he's accomplished salvation for those who believe. And so spiritually, we are made right with God and that we can commune with God and that we can listen to him and have relationship with him. And in that, we are freed from guilt, shame, condemnation, um, sin, all of those things. We are free and are in Christ. Now, we are being renewed and transformed, but we are not fully arrived yet. And so though spiritually we have been reborn, the rest of us, so the, the, uh, the body that we have, the world that we live in, uh, the things that we interact with, like you know the homes that we buy and build, uh, the careers that we make, all these types of things that we, that we experience in the physical material world, they are going to be destined to decay. They just are. Um, buildings fall down and bodies get sick and die. And it's heartbreaking because that's not the way that it was supposed to be. You see, the beginning of the story of the Bible is a story of God making a good world and that goodness was supposed to be the thing that marked it, that it was good and beautiful and that it would last. Well, through sin and human disobedience, the world was now put under a curse and so we, we are hoping for God to make it right again. And he starts making the world right from the inside out. And so he makes us right with him relationally, spiritually. Uh, but the rest of it, like the, the trees and the birds and the buildings and the grass and our bodies and all those types of things, those don't get restored until Jesus comes again to restore everything. And so the Christian life is marked by hope. We hope to be with God one day and every tear will be wiped away and this whole thing will be renewed and restored. That day is not today. That has not happened right now. And so we are still in a state of longing and God, he's faithful to us. And so even though we are not fully arrived yet, God has, has sent his Holy Spirit to live with us. It's a sort of like down payment. Uh, he's, he's like, he's purchased our place with him and, and a place in the new restored world someday, but it's not yet. And so he kind of like leaves his, his presence. He's, he's saying, look, spiritually, I'm with you, providing for you, nourishing you, all these things spiritually, uh, but you got to wait. You got to hope that one day you just trust me. I'm going to make this right today. It's not today, but someday I will make this all right someday. And so our experience to bring this back to joy, our experience in jo- with joy in Christ necessarily involves longing. So we think that joy is all about possessing, possessing in the sense of like, I'm hungry and I want to get food. And so in order to get food, I need to go buy food and I will possess that food. And once I have it, I have it. There's no more longing for it. Um, joy, this side of glory, so to speak, the, like joy in our present circumstances, it doesn't work like that. We don't just possess this joy and then say, I'm good. 
just told, I'm just good now. Like I don't need anything anymore. You know, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me again because I got joy. That's just not the way things work. So I'm going to read another C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, oh, actually, I'm going to read Romans, a little little bit in Roman, a little ditty uh, in Romans eight that I think sums up kind of what I was, what I'm striving to articulate. Sums it up better. Uh, let's see. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing. There's that word longing. With eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And that phrase, the sons of God, are, are uh, the, the redeemed humanity. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. So first fruits, farming metaphor, first fruits are not the whole fruits. It's just that like, you know, when we start, when things become ripe, there's like the very, very first bit of harvest that comes in. It's, it's a sign that the rest of it's coming. And so uh, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees for or, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's, that's massive stuff. Um, let's, I'm going to look real quick here at the C.S. Lewis quote. Oh, uh, gosh, <laughs> so much. So Lewis, what you got to know about Lewis is that he's from Ireland and the reason why C.S. Lewis gets dragged out into most conversations about joy is that he spends a lot of time articulating his experience, his like emotional experience with um, the surroundings in Ireland. And one of the things he writes about often is that growing up in Ireland, there's like a really just incredible landscape. I mean, there's like mountains, there's misty hills. Um, it's like like fairy tales and folklore are like just woven into this landscape. It's so enchanting and beautiful. And Lewis describes what feeling that produced in him. It was like this stabbing sort of sense of longing. I mean, he, he writes about um, his dad, you know, growing up in Ireland, he, he writes about his dad didn't have a, uh, didn't have an automobile or at least didn't have an automobile for most of his life. And what he writes, what that did to him is that he saw the mountains. He was able to see the, the mountains in the distance. And he had actually been there to visit them um, a couple times or at least once. But it's not like they could just jump into the car and go get it. You know, like they couldn't just drive up to the mountains, you know, like, oh, cool. I'm just going to go up there someday. Uh, they, he couldn't. And so he writes that it was as uh, inaccessible as the moon. I mean, it was just this thing that was so distant and yet he had tasted in the 
pleasure of being in the mountains. And so he had this sense deep into his gut and in his heart what it was like to be present in the beautiful mountains. And yet he wasn't able to just go experience that, you know, on command. And so he longed for it. And it was actually in his longing for the mountains that he sort of was able to rehearse and and re-experience what it was like to be in the mountains. And he describes that feeling of like that stabbing sense of longing um, as as a, it was like in its own way, the longing for it was pleasurable. And that's kind of how he describes joy, um, is that it's, it's just like a good longing. Uh, and so here's a quote that he says. He says, um, but what I never realized was that it had returned, um, that the remembering of that walk was itself a new experience of just the same kind. He's talking about walking in the hills. Um, true, it was desire, not possession. So he wasn't. he didn't actually have it. But then what I had felt on the walk had also been desire and only possession in so far as the kind of desire is itself desirable. <laughs> a desire that's desirable. That's like, it's too much. Um, it is the fullest possession we can know on earth. Or rather, because the very nature of joy makes nonsense of our common distinction between having and wanting. There to have is to want, and to want is to have. It's crazy. So I think Roman, I think what he's trying to articulate is what the Bible says more simply, which is we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The joy is in the hoping. And, uh, and so I'm going to finish out this podcast on joy with another quote. Big surprise. Um, Oh, let's see. Let's see if I can find it. Ah, yes, the essence. So this is from Piper. If you don't have Piper's Desiring God, you got to buy it. Um, you may, you probably won't agree with everything, and that's okay. But what he writes about provokes very, very good, uh, very good ideas and very good things to think about in your prayer life. So, uh, page 288. In Desiring God, he writes, The Essence of Christian Hedonism. The essence of Christian hedonism, um, in the pursuit of joy through suffering, we magnify the all-satisfying worth of the source of our joy. God himself shines as the brightness at the end of our tunnel of pain. If we do not communicate that he is the goal and the ground of our joy and suffering, then the very meaning of our suffering will be lost. The meaning is this, God is gain, God is gain, God is gain. The chief end of man is to glorify God, and it is truer in suffering than anywhere else that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And my prayer, therefore, is that the Holy Spirit would pour out on his people around the world a passion for the supremacy of God in all things. And I pray that he would make it plain that the pursuit of joy in God, whatever the pain, is a powerful testimony to God's supreme and all-satisfying worth. And so may it come to pass as we fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a quote from the, from the Apostle Paul. 
says that all the peoples of the world will see the love of Christ and magnify his grace in the gladness of faith. So really, my desire for Hope City Church is that we would be a people that would never, ever settle for rote, duty-filled Christianity. That we would passionately strive for a deep well to be filled in our hearts with God himself that we want to experience the the joy at God's right hand, right? The pleasures forevermore in his presence. And Jesus is fullness of joy. And it is the pursuit of being satisfied in God himself that brings God glory. Because we know that God is infinitely supreme and infinitely desirable. Like God, out of any being in the entire universe, God the Alpha, the Omega, right? The Logos, like Jesus. Jesus is, if anyone's going to satisfy us, if anything's going to satisfy us, it's going to be Jesus. And suffering produces, it produces a testing. Suffering is a crucible. And so I really don't want anyone to interpret this podcast as me saying your suffering is, is glib. Um, what you're going through is your suffering and your experience of your suffering is your story. It's nobody else's. And so it's hard. I just want to say that brother, sister, it's what you're going through. I know is tough, but what God is doing in you is he's using that suffering to cause you to long for him more because God knows that he alone can satisfy the deepest deepest longings of your heart. And so in this season, in 2020, whatever your suffering is, I know you have some measure of suffering in your life. Whatever your suffering is, God wants you to know that he desires you and that he desires to satisfy the deepest wells of your heart. So just want to end, I just want to end there. Um, this is going to be an ongoing conversation at Hope City Church is just continuing to articulate biblical joy. Uh, but, you know, wherever you're at in life, just want to say thanks for listening to the Hope City Drip. And so whether you're a member at this local church or not, or whether you live in the Clinton community or elsewhere, I just want you to remember that Jesus has called you to a vocation. You are called to be a counterculture of hope. You're called to lock arms with your local church and meet the greatest need of your community by bringing it the greatest news of all.